Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, 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 we have reached the day. The day that we've all been eagerly anticipating, eagerly awaiting. Biden is going to be giving his, I guess, first official State of the Union address. Can you imagine being tasked the responsibility of writing this speech? I mean, my goodness, I... I you think about the world that's on fire around us. I, but I, I say this, and I see leftists on social media who are – now, there's not many. There's fewer and fewer every day. But I see leftists and Democrats out there who are proud of this, proud of this scorched earth that Joseph R. Biden and today's Democrat Party have brought to us. Yikes. But get ready for this thing tonight. Watch with eager anticipation <laughs> as Joe Biden uh, takes to the uh, takes to the stage, takes to the uh, the House chamber to tell us all the things that are going great with this particular State of the Union address. So email folks, Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, and you can send your thoughts, questions, feedback, opinions. Adoration, praise, always accepted at that email address. And anyway, but you think about this. I want to talk a little bit about this the State of the Union address. And I mean, what would you really what would you really write? I mean, and, and what do we expect him to say? We know in a sense that they're going to spin everything. There's nothing positive to talk about. There's literally nothing positive to talk about. If there is something positive to talk about, it is the effects of coming in and riding in on the potential coattails of anything that that Trump had going in the right direction prior to Biden fumbling his way into the Oval Office. I mean, really, though, in all seriousness, what, what do you write about? I mean, I've already seen headlines here. Biden is going to use the word inflation. That was apparently controversial going into uh, heading into this these these days leading up to the state of the union address going to use the word inflation i i'm sure it's going to be blamed on trump or it's going to be framed in such a way as to point out just how good it is how it's not really all this doom and gloom that people who have an understanding of economics actually are telling us that it is it's good i guess i, I mean what are they going to say it's good that your money's worth less today than it was when Biden took office. It's good that gas and groceries are astronomically high. It's good that shelves are bare. It's good that there's an open border between the U.S. and Mexico. Here we are. By the way, we're down in the southern part of New Mexico, not far from well, we're actually in Carlsbad, not far from Carlsbad Canyon, or excuse me, Carlsbad Cavern National Park. And we, today, 
we actually were booking a, a time to go. You have to book a time. You have to book a time on the website. We have a National Parks Pass, which is supposed to get you into any national park, well, for free, um, an annual pass. But there's a, it's not a, a big fee. I think it's a dollar a person for the self-guided tour at Carlsbad Cavern National Park, which we booked for a day later in the week. <clears throat> anyway, um, but I was looking through there, looking through there, and we you have to wear the masks not just indoors. You also apparently have to wear masks in cavern. That was a thing that I saw on there, wear masks in cavern. I, here I am thinking that you probably would want your uh, people who are hiking these strenuous trails you're told that you know not to have knee or back problems no heart problems can't be risking that but we'll throw a mask over your face and send you into the center of the earth it seems really uh, quite counterproductive to me i think you'd want people to get as much oxygen as they can but then again what do i know that the wizards of smart in the federal government uh what they, they think they know. When you compare the two, they think that they know everything. But nonetheless, I bring that up because at the speech tomorrow, you're not going to see. You're not going to see any masks because just in the nick of time, just in the nick of time, just for them to begin starting the part of the process where they make you or try to make you and the rest of your American brothers and sisters believe that what they've seen over the past, well, year or whatever period of time they've been scorching the earth here, they want to make you believe that that really didn't happen. Now, as we get close to an election, and now we're headed into we're March, right? We're into March, and it's now time to get serious. The Democrats are going to get serious. They know the things that they've tried to push Americans to accept, drive this country left, what have you. It's, it's run up against a lot of problems. And one of those is that nothing that they do works, their ideas are um, effectively as effective, if I can say it that way. They're as effective as the Soviets um, or other socialists around the world ideas that promised more prosperity, more benefit, more utopia if you simply accepted the way that the government wanted to do things. And allowed for more government in your life. Of course, that never is the case. It always leads, always. Anyone who ever opens a history book and has any level of fairness and objectivity can tell you that socialism and bigger government leads to not an equality and prosperity. It leads to an equality of, of poverty or an equality of a lower standard of living, at least. So, but they want to... They want us to forget all that. They want us to forget the damage that their policies have done. They want us to forget about the damage that their leadership has caused around the world. They want to blame, again, Ukraine on, on Trump. George Rodham Stephanopoulos is all concerned about what Tom Cotton thinks about Trump's uh, comments about Putin and Russia and so forth. Not the least bit concerned is Stephanopoulos about the things that this administration has been doing or has not been doing that has led to these problems, the debacle in Afghanistan. So now begins the process where they want to make us think 
that the reality that we have lived is an illusion and that we really didn't see and experience the things that we saw and experienced. And along with those that in general, including the cause of inflation, buckle up for what this is going to be blamed on. It's either going to be Trump, it's going to be, we shared last week, I think, that this um, Russian crisis is going to be blamed. In fact, I, I said that on Thursday and Friday morning, lo and behold, I had evidence to say they've already been blaming the UK, uh, Ukraine crisis on, or excuse me, blaming inflation on the Ukraine crisis. Get ready for that kind of stuff. They think they can get away with it. These journal, so-called journalists, professional deceivers in the media, creators of narratives, they want you to believe or they want us to be convinced that what we've experienced these past 12, 13, 14 months, which seem like 12, 13, 14 years, they want us to believe that didn't happen, including masks. Headline here in the post-millennial, Congress drops mask mandate ahead of Biden's State of the Union address. So no masks in Congress. Suddenly, it's as though COVID, I, I just, it's just remarkable if you think about it, We how we have been led to hang on every word of Fauci, of the, now I haven't for some time. At the early stages, you know, when we were trying to figure this out, I was paying attention until I began to see the inconsistencies. I began to see, it didn't take long, by the way, began to see the ridiculous explanation for things. And Fauci's objectivity quickly um, became clear to me that it didn't, it didn't exist. He, there's a lot of problems with Fauci, as you know. And it's not just Fauci, it's the government in, in general. But we've been led to hang on the words of these folks worry about what the CDC recommendation was for X, Y, and Z. There have been schools that have still been, that that have been in masks. I think there's some that probably still are in masks. Now suddenly we're going to, with the snap of a finger and the blink of an eye, suddenly come to the conclusion that masks are not necessary any longer. In fact, they've suddenly, I've seen even in the New York Times, I've seen the New York Times stumble upon a reality that we have been talking about on here for a year, maybe 18 months. The addition, the effects of masking that were well beyond, well beyond, um, you know, whether someone caught COVID or not, right? I mean, um, the, the distancing, the isolation, not just of kids too. I mean, this has had an impact on mental health of many, many Americans. Other health problems have that had gone ignored or were not treated because of elective operations and so forth being shut down and all the side effects, all the consequences, all the havoc that had been wreaked on the American people by Democrats. I mean, almost to a T, not 100%, but when you look at the dangers of and the consequences of policies that were over the top regarding whatever it is, forced vaccinations, um, masking, isolation, and all of this stuff. This stuff happened primarily in Democrat-run cities. Meanwhile, they're 
governors, their mayors, like Eric Garcetti, went around running, running around maskless while they were telling you, telling me that if we did so, we would be killing our grandmother or someone else's grandmother. Suddenly, that image, that image of the mask is not going to be there tomorrow night. Part of me thinks, as I'm, as I'm saying this, and I didn't even think about this before the program, part of me thinks, well, part of me thinks Republicans might want to consider wearing masks. Just to remind people, of course, it'll then be, we'll then be told later on, they'll say, look, Democrats stopped wearing masks first because here Republicans are at the State of the Union, which Biden didn't hold until the summer of 2022. Hyperbole there, but you get my point. It's never been held so late in the year in modern times because they, I mean, they had to get this guy ready. Think of how many renditions of speeches and practices had to have occurred for Biden to be ready to take center stage tomorrow night. I mean, this is no small task. And of course, I think they also wanted to wait because they thought the timing, I thought, I think they thought that the things happening on the world, they could, they could have controlled the narrative a little bit around this time of year leading up to the State of the Union, and they could have temporarily made people forget just how terrible things are around the world, around this country, because of Democrat leadership. Um, But then, of course, Ukraine, the situation with Russia and Ukraine happened, and here we go yet again. But no masks tomorrow night. I mean, on the one hand, I'm happy. You know, I'm, I'm happy. Congratulations for finally coming to your senses on this. But that's not how they look at this. They look at this from an optics perspective. They know that they're getting hammered and shellacked when it comes to issues like masks, like mandates, and they want people to forget it. They don't want to be seen as the party who implemented this stuff because now it's time for accountability. Now, we still have, again, several months until the election, and they'll do everything in their power to erase this from people's memory, and it's going to be erased from many people's memory. But it's going to be harder to erase that. You think about the psychological impact, in some cases psychological, just extreme psychological damage this has caused. I've had people tell me their kids would cry the morning of school, the night before school, not wanting to go because... Didn't want to put on the mask and spend that entire day in the mask. I had parents tell me they didn't have their their younger students had never been in a classroom where they could actually see the teacher's face. There's so many impact, so much impact from this, right? The dehumanization of other human beings. Don't don't touch me. Don't get close to me. Don't breathe in my direction. You're not another human being. You are a carrier of germs. You are someone who can kill me and my family. That's where this has gone. And there's a lot of people, candidly on both sides of the aisle, that have awakened to this stuff. And they don't like it, and they don't like a lot of the other things that are happening as well, including the impact that inflation is having on their ability to make financial ends meet. They don't like paying four whatever or three whatever at the gas pump. We drive a diesel when we're traveling the country with our fifth wheel. And it's it's not cheap, folks. Not cheap at all 
to do this. Truckers, you got to think that's when you think about the Canadian truck situation, right? And the, the protesters and now the protests that are starting to uh, come together here in this country, truckers heading to Washington, D.C. And you think about just the, the cost that have been, the truckers have been forced to to bear here from the cost of fuel to mandates to whatever else, loss of freedom. And in a lot of ways, I think truckers are kind of, uh, that's a group of people that have proven to be fundamentally prepared to take a, a stand on some of these issues when it comes to the erosion of their liberty, their personal freedoms and liberties. Anyway, State of the Union is tonight. Masks are not going to be there. Biden has literally nothing to brag about. But he's going to try to find, or his team is going to try to find a way to slip in some things that Americans or that people in that chamber are going to be able to applaud. Of course, it, it cannot be anything that's actually happened. It'll be platitudes. It'll be about his intentions. It'll be about the things that he is going to do this year, right? Including maybe a revitalization of Build Back Better. We'll see if Manchin is going to hold firm on that. They waited. We haven't talked about the Supreme Court justice nominee, but they waited to announce their nominee until now. Maybe that's something else they wanted to slip into the State of the Union. I mean, they're they're grasping at straws here. And what else are we going to talk about? We can't talk about Biden sniffing kids' hair. We can't talk about Ukraine. We can't talk about the economy. We can't talk about gas prices or supply. You know, uh, there there being things in the on the shelves that Americans can get whenever they want them. You know, Americans are now accustomed to ordering things and waiting forever to get a product or service. This is all because of government's response. And not all of it falls squarely at the, uh, at the feet of Joseph R. Biden, but a lot of it does. And I would say almost all of it falls at the feet of today's Democrat Party who tells us that the, the Answers to all of our problems lies in some policy, some government's decision, some government's control over our lives. So, State of the Union tonight, more to say about that, but I need to take a time out. You're listening here to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back in just a moment. Welcome back, my friends. By the way program is brought to you in part, part by Citizens Bank. Folks, big banks can sometimes be a an absolute nightmare. Big banks sometimes have all the bells and whistles, but there's all sorts of other things you have to contend with. And many times that includes things like fees that you don't understand or that they sneak in or customer service that you never are able to get to the right person. I'm speaking here, believe me, from a little bit of past experience with some bigger banks. But Citizens Bank, which is located, if you're listening in Indianapolis, just to the they have branches along the west side, the south side, the southwest side of the city. And if you're looking for, you know, just anything from opening an, an account to getting a loan for a vehicle, mortgage, consider talking with our friends at Citizens Bank. Find out more by go to citizens-banking.com, citizens 
Dashbanking.com. Be sure to tell them you heard about them here on the Todd Huff Show. We've been talking about the State of the Union address tonight. And just <laughs> if we live in a sane world, what would really be said tonight? I'm sorry. I mean, I feel like this could be a, a 10 second speech. Folks, I'm really sorry for the havoc and grief I've caused you. I clearly don't know what I'm doing. I hereby resign. Of course, that wouldn't be much help either because then Kamala would step into the mix. But, you know, what what could really be said if politics wasn't about the, you know, the, the art of deception, the art of taking credit for things oftentimes you had nothing to do with and casting blame on others, on your political opponents for the things that you yourself are, are responsible for? As I've said on here before, the first job of a politician is to get elected. Second job is to get reelected. The third job is to do anything to make those other two jobs possible. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And there are exceptions to the rule. In fact, I want to talk about an issue in our state here later uh, in the program. Um, for those of you that have been following HB 1134, which, look, I know we have listeners all over the, the, the country. Uh, this is an issue in Indiana, but is an issue that goes around. The, it's not specific to Indiana. It's an Indiana bill, but these sorts of things and the principles of, and so forth of the things that we're going through here are, I think, lessons maybe for anyone anywhere. And not just for this particular issue, but we'll, we'll talk about that in, in due course here. In addition to the mass not being a thing and for Biden not to have anything to talk about, here is he's waited to get us into March to address the nation on the State of the Union. Um, another, another interesting little bit of tidbit, a uh, little tidbit of information here is again looking at the postmillennial.com. This was, well, there's a story, but there's it's referencing a, a Ron DeSantis tweet. Pause, by the way. You heard me mention yesterday we talked about Trump, CPAC speech, and all that. Um, you heard me mention or allude to the straw poll that CPAC does. And I believe, I don't have it in front of me. I just read it earlier. Uh, Trump finishes or finished first in the straw poll. Here it is. Fox News is reporting this. Trump finished first in the straw poll with 59%. 59%. DeSantis finished second with 28%. So basically, those and those two names, those two individuals, Trump and DeSantis, have been the, well, Trump's been the favorite. DeSantis has been the favorite of everyone else. But those are the two names, the two individuals who have been at the top of virtually all lists of all straw polls amongst conservative Republican groups um, over the past year or so. Um, so I just, I, I referenced that yesterday. I said that Trump one handily, but those are the two, you know, that's, what is that? That's 80, 87%. Is that right? Yeah. 87% of the vote of all ballots were cast for either Trump or DeSantis. It is interesting to note that that gap is smaller now than it was between Trump and DeSantis is smaller now than it was uh, when they did it last year, I believe. I'd have to go back and look, but I think Trump really dominated last time. It's still a massive victory. That's a 30-point 30, 30 lead. And again, it's just CPAC. It's not, I'm not minimizing CPAC, but I'm saying it's not 
all Republicans. It's 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 one particular uh, part of the Republican Party today. <clears throat> one that I think should have more power and influence. Uh, don't misunderstand. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm not saying that those numbers can be extrapolated to everything else. Anyway, um, in addition, and I mentioned DeSantis because of this, in addition to the masks no longer being required in D.C., which is very convenient, um, DeSantis tweeted out yesterday and said, Last week, the Biden administration requested the assistance of state National Guards to deploy to Washington, D.C. I have rejected this request, there will be no Florida guards sent to D.C. for Biden's State of the Union. By the way, kudos for this. So, the reason here, the reason here is they they need us to still believe this nation is teetering. Oh, it's a, it, it was almost overtaken by the people in the Capitol, at, on Capitol Hill on January 6th. 2020. And Trump, they want you to believe, caused that. And we almost had a coup. And I'm telling you, as we get closer to 2024, get ready. Get ready for there to be talk of making sure Trump is never allowed to be on the ballot because he's an insurrectionist. And they're going to go back and uh, cite laws and even things in the Constitution that date back to the true I mean, the Confederacy, right? The Civil Civil War, where those folks were not allowed, not allowed to hold office again. They're gonna they're going to try to draw the analogy that that should include Trump as well. And the optics need to match that. And so what better way for that to be the case than for there to be National Guards troops scattered across DC? When Biden's giving his address, because after all, the image they want to convey, the message they want to convey, and this will be spoken by some, it will be unspoken by others, there will just be visual cues and clues that say, this nation, Biden, what a brave man, coming out here, almost, you know, a year ago, this chamber where he's speaking almost fell, almost fell, and, you know, Biden and the government held on and fought valiantly to defend the collapse of the United States of America. Now you've heard me. I've not, I've condemned the things that happened on January 6th that need to be condemned. I've also pointed out that there were plenty of people on January 6th that were simply protesting. They didn't do anything remotely close to violating the Capitol or anything like that, doing anything illegal. And there's also a group of people that were let in. We've seen the video. We don't seem to ever want to acknowledge that. There's lots of questions with the, the Capitol Hill police that opened the gates and waved them in. We, I, I've seen multiple videos of that. But that doesn't excuse some of the other things that we, of course, saw happen. If people uh, broke the law, they, of course, need to pay the consequences of that. Uh, but this is going to be, again, another visual a bit of symbolism to make you, to make the viewers think, my goodness, if it wasn't for Biden, what would we have? It'd probably be like what we're, what's happening overseas with Ukraine and Russia. I mean, I know this is, this is really the narrative, how far some of these radical wackos have taken this. Again, they're blaming Trump for Russia invading Ukraine. They're blaming Trump for what happened on January 6th. 
and now they need the National Guard there to prevent. Of course, there's there's no reason to have them there. There's no reason to have them there other than other than the optics, and that's what they they want to portray, and they want to say Republicans dangerous. They want to shift the blame from anything he's going to say because there's nothing positive to talk about, no matter how you slice it. And I've got to take a break. Long in this segment, my friends, sit tight. Back here in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. Going to tell you off the top, this is going to be a really short segment. I want to save time to talk about um, the remainder of the program. I don't want to talk about the uh, Indiana House Bill 1134. And again, if you're listening in other parts of the country or around the world, hang in there for this because this applies not just Indiana. It's Indiana-specific for this particular occasion, but this is an issue that runs nationwide. And House Bill 1134, I'm just going to kind of set this up before the break here, passed in the House of Representatives in the state of Indiana, went on to the Senate, um, and it had gone through various readings and testimony and all sorts of things. Uh, The regular standard stuff. Um, but it did not – it wasn't called uh, – it, it's it's dead. It's not going to be – they don't have the votes to pass it. At least that's what um, Republicans are are saying. This is in the Indianapolis – what's it, the Star? I said the Indianapolis Times. That was when I was a kid. Gee whiz. But anyway, the Indianapolis Star reported on some of this um, – and I want I want to talk about this, but the, the legislation is designed. It's designed. The the motivation for this. Now, whether it achieved it or not, is I I left open. I I've been trying to get people to come on this program from the Indiana State uh, State Teachers Association. They don't want to come on here. They were very kind, and they're. Uh, what I want to say, they're. Objection to not to not come on. They were kind, but they didn't want to come on and explain what was what was bad about it and what um, they just didn't want to have that discussion with me or share that with you for whatever reason. Maybe perhaps they knew. Perhaps they knew that this wasn't going to get out uh, of the Senate. Republicans didn't have votes. I don't. I don't know. But this is designed designed to stop critical race theory from being taught in in our schools. It's designed to do – that. that's the starting premise, is that you've got the 1619 what, project, you've got critical race theory, you've got these ideas that literally teach kids. And I'm not – look, I'm not saying all teachers do this. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I would say most teachers don't do this. The vast majority do not. But there are certainly some. I've we've had some on the program. Um, who have gotten in trouble for standing up to their school district or not even really that, simply sharing with parents, um, getting parents involved and getting input on certain things related to critical race theory sort of stuff that was going to be discussed in the classroom. It absolutely happens. I'm not saying it's widespread. I'm not saying it's in every school, but I'm going to say that there are teachers and 
there's at least a teacher in in almost every school that would be down with this that promoting critical race theory. I'm not saying it's. I'm just saying, hear me out. I'm not saying the majority of teachers. I'm saying there's at least a teacher in the vast majority of the schools around this country that thinks that this is really the job of education is to correct the things that students have been taught by their parents, who, by the way, are also nothing more than white suburban racists in the minds of these folks that were taught, by the way, at some of these universities where they cram this stuff down their throat, where this is the topic of the day every day, race and apologizing for one's race and if you're if you're white and you know, white guilt, white fragility, all those things. They live in the world. They, they're taught by colleges that teach them that garbage each and every day. And then we wonder, well, I wonder if when they get a job in the real world, if some of that's going to carry over. Where, well, it turns out that it will for at least some. And this doesn't mean that it's most. This means that it's some. Parents and taxpayers have an absolute vested interest in what's being taught in these schools. So this, that's where this legislation started. Whether or not it was the right final form, that's another discussion. We're trying to have people on here to talk about that with us. It's hard to find people who will tell me what's wrong with 1134. But that being said, the bill as it currently stands is not going to get voted on in the Senate in the state of Indiana. And I want to, I have a couple of thoughts about that. So that being said, my friends, I'm going to take a break, come back and have that discussion. Sit tight back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. So let's talk here about Indiana House Bill 1134, which was designed, the intent of this bill was to allow parents to stop schools, or teachers even, from teaching things like critical race theory, which effectively says if you're white, you're racist. Um, there's nothing you can do about it, except for maybe vote Democrat, I guess. Um Capitalism is inherently racist. All these sorts. I mean, I, I could. That's just scratching the surface. But of course, a parent has every right to say, "Look, I don't want my kid being taught that." I'm not a big fan of my kid being taught that he or she is evil, and that someone else, simply because of their race, which is different from my child, is somehow not. Like, what in the world are we doing here? And so that's where this started out. Now, the teachers union and the teachers say this is a bigger issue. I'm going to try to summarize it. I can only summarize it from what I've read because no one will explain it to me. I don't know if they're afraid. Well, I think they're, my my guess, folks are afraid to to defend or explain the, you know, give answers to the questions I'm going to ask because talking points during a 15-minute interview are not going to suffice. And they know they know that. They know that. So if you're in the State Teachers Association, I guess prove me wrong. Come on here and show me, show our audience that it's beyond talking points. Now, they might say, forget it. We have nothing to defend now because we just, we just won. And that's, I mean, <laughs> fair enough. Maybe that's, maybe that's just the reality of, of things. But I find it interesting. I did see an article in the Indianapolis Star 
where they were talking to the Senate pro tem, which is uh, Rod Bray, who's actually a senator from my district um, back home. We're here in New Mexico, but he's a, a senator from our district. He's Senate pro tem. And basically he said, um, you know, a couple of elements of this bill might make their way into other legislation, but we're not going to rehash this whole debate again during this session, which ends sometime here in the next few weeks, sometimes sometime in March. Um, but I just, it's just interesting because I think about things like when you see, if, if you put yourself in the position of these, of these senators, you know, how many people that, that are at the state house are, are teachers. And again, don't misunderstand me if you're, I'm not trying, I'm just saying how many, how many people are taking the day off as teachers going to the state house to protest, taking a paid day off when a lot of other, you know, taxpayers are busy with the rest of their lives. You know, this is the livelihood of teachers and they don't want it to be a certain way. And I don't fault them at all for that, by the way. But you start to wonder, you know, is because in my world, support for this bill, now whether or not HB 1134 actually accomplished, did it the right way, I think that that may uh, be left to be determined. And I still like to have folks on to talk about that, and we're going to try to arrange that. But be that as it may, the idea that this is not a real issue to be concerned with in Indiana and in other states around the country is not being objective either. So maybe maybe there's another way to do it, but we have to have a way to prevent this nonsense from, from, being, from being taught. And I think that that's a popular notion. I think that most people would agree with me on on that. But I think perhaps the pressures maybe and the questions you're getting from people if you're a senator or a House of Representatives member might be a little different because I don't know actually I'm probably pretty confident that the representative the, the, the people that are coming on site to vociferously share their opinions on the bill are against it. Because, again, for reasons I've already stated. And you wonder, does that, is there, is there a political calculus here? Do they think it's not as popular as it is? Am I wrong and it's not as popular as I think it is? I don't know. But I think sometimes conservatives and Republicans, I'm always amazed. The left is a hodgepodge of people who, have, who are single-issue voters that have nothing in common in a lot of ways, yet when it's time to come together and push forward on, on, on a particular topic, they do it. And conservatives are almost the opposite. We agree on large amounts of stuff, but someone may not be a purist in one particular area, and we are literally, collectively, not maybe you, but just we're, we're quick to say that person's not me because they're not conservative enough on this particular topic or issue or whatever, and then that leaves us politically... I'm, we're almost politically neutered at that point. Anyway, so I'm not defeated or anything. I just was a little bit surprised that it gets this far. They've walked through this much fire, and suddenly it seems to have stopped. We'll see if it does. It's not necessarily over as Senator Bray has alluded. But anyway, I get to uh, wrap up here. Out of time. Sit tight, my friends. Back in just a minute. <laughs> My friends, 
Worst part of the day for you, I know. Program's coming to an end, but have no fear. You know that you can listen to this program as a podcast. That's right, my friends. This podcast, by the way, I'm happy to tell you, is among the top 5% of most downloaded podcasts in the world. And it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe, or I think it's follow is the right term to use today, as we're trying to grow our reach even more, grow the podcast, reach all around this country and all around the world. Folks, this is a, a platform. It's free to, to do, by the way. Just goes to Apple Podcasts or wherever, search for The Todd Huff Show and subscribe, follow, whatever the term is, and uh, that would help us continue to grow. Folks, thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. SDG. See you tomorrow. Take care.